Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. How are you guys? You good? You're good. How many of you guys know that you're doing good? Yeah? How many of you guys still aren't sure? Anybody? Because we can settle that before we move on. But there's so much scripture that tells you how good you're doing, you wouldn't even believe it. Um, we got to go down Thursday night. Oh, should we take up our offering right now? Yeah? Okay. We'll just take up our offering right now. Um, God, I thank you that we have something to give. God, I thank you that, that not just with our finances, but that you've placed rivers of living water deep inside of us. God, that you've placed your spirit within us, that true life is living inside of us, God, and that we have something to give in every opportunity, no matter where we find ourselves. We are never without something to give. And God, I thank you even in the area of financial provision that we have something to give, God, that we've been blessed by you so that we can be blessings to other people. And I just ask, God, that you would continue to bless every person in this house. God, I thank you that you would continue to give them the desires of their heart, God, that you would place desires deep inside their heart that align with your plan for their life. I thank you, God, that this life is not being herded by you. It's being led by you. That you're not behind us with a whip trying to herd us in a direction. You're in front of us with love calling us into where you've called us to be. I just ask that we would continue to live in that place in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So welcome to Outreach. Um, anybody here for the very first time? Very first time? Yeah, raise your hands up real quick. The second time is when we call you up and make you talk on stage, but the first time you're all right. I'm just kidding, we don't do that. But we do have cards in front of you in the seat backs. If you could fill one of those out, if you write fast, you could get it into the bucket before it gets to you. If not, there's these wooden boxes right by all the exits. If you just drop that off, it's just so that we can say hey and, and welcome you and thank you for coming. And we also want to find out if there's anything that we as a family could bless you guys with. And we're really, really thankful that you're here. You could have went anywhere this morning and you decided to come here. Oh, you were at FCA Thursday night. Awesome. Yeah? Well, I was just going to talk about that. Uh, Thursday night, we got an opportunity to go down and speak to the FCA at Clemson University. And they have an amazing FCA down there. I mean, it, we were all blown away. We're sitting there watching. It's, it starts at 9.20 at night. Actually, 9.19. They were very clear about that. And... Uh, I know, and, um, and we were all, the, the people that, that, that went down there, I'm sorry I didn't say anything about it to everybody, I'm horrible at that stuff, I forgot to tell people that we were going to be down there speaking, and I don't have Twitter, so I can't tweet that stuff anymore, because um, I don't tweet no more, but um, I ran out of witty things to say a long time ago, um, and nobody retweeted my stuff anyways, it was just a source of disappointment and frustration. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. Anyways, um, so we, we got an opportunity to go down there. But we were all just sitting there like, holy smokes, look at all these kids that are coming here at 9.20 at night on a Thursday night when there's all kinds of other things going on. And these kids are coming here for this. And, and uh, we have the former uh, president of FCA in our midst, Mr. David Pearson. Yeah, and uh, so he accompanied me down there. So we had like royalty status going on. He showed us the secret parking space. And, and we had to help a kid that got his truck stuck against the fence. 
And me, Dylan, Carl, David, and one other guy that, that happened to wander by lifted the back end of a Toyota Tundra up and set it over. We do CrossFit. I told the kid that. I'm like, dude, we do CrossFit. We'll lift this thing up. But, but it was awesome because the response of people down there, and, and, and we had no one playing music behind us when we're speaking, right? It wasn't like, you know, I, I have nothing wrong with that. I love when people play music in the background. I totally love that. Totally think it's amazing. But, but th- I wanted it to be kind of dry on purpose because it was just a simple gospel we were presenting of what it is to truly die to ourselves and be alive to Christ and, and be buried into his death and be raised into newness of life with him and, and what that actually looked like and meant. And, and when we gave the opportunity for people to respond, we had, a bunch of students responded. And then, but, but the most amazing thing to me and the thing that, that really blessed me the most was people in leadership actually responded to that gospel and afterwards said that was, I'd never heard it presented that way. And that's all honor and glory that goes to the Father, right? Speaking through us. And so, um, but I, I just want to say this, that like, you know when Paul said like, he talked about my gospel, like he loved the gospel so much, like it was his own. He said with my gospel. And I want us to feel that way about the gospel that we've received like to feel like we've received something that's ours. And when we go and we share, it's my gospel I'm sharing with you. I mean, it's the gospel of Jesus, but it's, it's the one that changed my life. So it's my good news. Like I'm sharing with you my good news. The good news is, is that I once was dead and now, that I'm, al- now I'm alive. Like I once was lost, now I'm found. I once was blind, now I see. Like it's my good news. It's the good news that came to me, but it changed my life and it became my own. And it's no longer just some sterile thing that I'm offering that people can receive. Like, well, you don't want to go to hell, so, you know, like, if the best we can do is, is tell people that it's better than hell, we've so missed it. We've so missed this thing because it's so much better than just not going to hell. Yes, eternity with the Father is going to be amazing. But like, we, I talked about this Thursday night a little bit. It's like, if you don't want to spend time with Him now, what makes you think you're going to want to for eternity in heaven? So it got quiet in here. You guys went Lutheran on me. <laughs> I grew up in a Lutheran church. It's quiet in there when the guy's preaching. Except this one guy, when he preached, he would rattle keys in his pocket. I remember as a kid being like, hearing his keys rattling in his pocket. But other than that, it was quiet in church. But, but no, seriously, like, maybe we should just challenge ourselves with that a little bit. Like, what makes me sh- so sure that I'm going to want to spend eternity with Him if I don't even want to spend my days with Him now? Because the truth is, you want to spend eternity with Him. And if you knew Him the way He can be known, you'd want to spend your days with Him. So if you're not wanting to spend your days with Him, don't like lie about it and be like, oh yeah, I just love spending my days with God. Because that does nothing for you. It's not like, oh, fake it till you make it. Like, no, I'm just going to keep saying I love spending my days with God until I actually do. No, discover who He is and, and get to know Him and then it will be legitimate and you'll genuinely want to spend your days with Him because everybody wants a father like God. Everybody wants a brother like Jesus. Everybody wants a friend like Holy Spirit. I promise you. So if, if we're not like as excited about spending time with Him now as we think we will be for eternity, it's because there's something we haven't discovered or seen yet. And it's not something He's saving for eternity. He says that we can know Him. 
You can know him, right? This is eternal life, that they would know you. Jesus said that. That's what eternal life is. This is eternal life, that they would know you and the Son whom you send. Like you can know him now, eternal life. What you will love for eternity, you can have now because you can have him living and dwelling. He's so close, he's actually living and dwelling inside of you. He's not distant. You're not waking up every day and hoping to climb the mountain and get to God. God came down off the mountain and came to you. See, remember in the Old Testament, it's like, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, right? That's old covenant theology. That's no longer for today because God was no longer satisfied to be on top of the mountain and only approached by those with clean hands and a pure heart. So he came down off the mountain and gave you clean hands and a pure heart so that you could always be in his presence. No more climbing the mountain every day. No more waking up in the morning hoping I was good enough yesterday to stand in his presence today. I wake up in the morning and I understand I can stand in his presence because of what Jesus Christ did and because I'm washed in his blood and I'm filled with new life and I'm no longer the man that I was and I'll never answer for the things that were because all he sees is who I am. That's the new covenant. That's my gospel. That's your gospel. That's what you have. What Jesus said, freely you've received, now freely you give. Meaning what? You can only give what you've received. And so, so if you're not giving that to people, it's because you haven't received it yourself. And there's an authority on it when you speak it, when it's actually become your life. Because you can just stand there and randomly you know, just spout sterile facts. There's no life in that. I mean, the truth is still the truth and God's word will still accomplish, but it's not going to change your life. And then you're going to feel like a hypocrite because when you go home at night, you'll know that you don't have what you promised everyone else they could. And you'll violate yourself. And eventually you'll become frustrated. Eventually you'll become burned out. You know, that's, I honestly believe that that's what burnout is. It's trying to present something to people in public that you don't genuinely have in private. It's the recipe for burnout. Trying to live like Jesus in public without living like Jesus in private. Because you're doing that out of your own strength and eventually you're going to run out. I thought that was good. I don't know. I thought it was, oh, it's, you're too late. You missed your opportunity to be encouraging. I brought my own encouragement and he woke up inside of me. He's cheering me on. I'm serious. You guys have no idea what I feel right now inside. It's the pleasure of heaven as he's going, go, preach it, go. Like, speak. I'm serious. You guys know what that's like. When you're sharing something and you feel that fire of God inside you and he's on it, and you're just like running and that great cloud of witnesses is just cheering you on because they know that true life's coming out of your mouth and it's breaking bonds and it's bringing life where there's death. Life is always looking for something dead. Always. It's why your eyes are drawn to people when you're out and about. It's because true life is always looking for something that's dead to give itself to. Because it's always looking to impart itself into dead things and bring them back to life. It's, 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 the, beginning of the, it's the beginning of the story. It's man in a garden. It's God 
fashioning. He speaks everything else into existence. He speaks and the sun comes. He speaks and the oceans find their mark. He speaks and trees come and he, he, he plants and everything grows and all this stuff. But when it comes to man, he actually gets down, he fashions something, but there's something missing from man that only could come with the breath of God, with that life coming into it. And once the life, the breath of God comes in, and guess what? The Spirit of God was breathed into your lungs by Jesus himself when you were born again and baptized into the Spirit because he did it to the disciples, remember? Before, they, before the Holy Spirit came and anointed them, they had to actually be born again and receive that true life and be capable of carrying the presence of God. And so he said, he breathed on them and said, what? Receive the Holy Spirit. What was he doing? He's breathing that breath that Adam gave up back into their lungs. And they're actually becoming a new creation in that moment. And then he says, go and wait and don't leave until the Holy Spirit comes. So I thought he said, receive the Holy Spirit. There's a whole different thing of that life coming back inside of you and making you capable now of being the carrying presence of God. It's in your Bible. It's not like Jesus missed it. It's not like he breathed on them and they ducked. And so he said, all right, well then go to the, go to the upper room and wait and he'll come there. He breathed that breath, that same breath that God breathed into dirt and it came alive. Jesus breathed into dead men and they came alive. Born again. New creations. Everything old passed away as that breath filled their life. And now they're actually capable of carrying the presence of God. So he says, go and wait and don't leave until the Holy Spirit comes. It's in your Bible. It's Jesus' theology, not mine. It's not like a denominational theology it's the theology of jesus that the holy spirit came in them before the holy spirit came upon them once again you guys missed a golden opportunity to be excited about what we're preaching see if, if we're not careful if we aren't careful we will boil this thing down to saying a prayer and going back to living life the way that we lived before we knew him And then we'll be frustrated because we'll read the Bible and we'll have this tension of what we see in the Word, but we'll look at our lives and we'll have this tension of what we see in our lives. And at some point, at some point, we will choose which one is the truth. And that will determine the way that we live our lives. Seriously, people are like, oh, you know... You've got to be realistic, bro. You live in the world and you you can't live in denial. Listen, if something I see is opposite of what God said. I have to deny one in order to believe the other. I can't believe both. I can't say, well, God, I know, but... You realize, like, when you say that, what you're saying is, God, I know that you said this, but... Fill in the blank with your favorite story, your favorite wisdom of man, your favorite logic, your favorite reasoning, but... I know something that you didn't know when you said that, is what we're saying. We would never come out and say that directly, but we say it all the times with what we believe. Well, I know that the Bible says that, but... And then we fill in the blank to adjust our theology to where our life experience has left us. Rather than saying, I know what I saw, but this is what the Word says. It's just really important which side of that but the Word of God is on. Right? Like, 
if I'm saying but after the Word of God and then filling in the blank with life experience, there's a good chance that I've adjusted my theology to meet a disappointment in my life rather than changing my theology to meet what His Word says is true. And like actually standing and saying, listen, I'm called to live by faith, not by sight. That's why the Bible says we walk not by sight, but by faith. Why? Because if you walk by sight, everything you believe is ruled by what you've seen. Where is the faith in that, honestly? Like just as a family, like let's be real honest. How much faith is required to, 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 to adjust what I believe to what I've seen in life? Zero. Your faith isn't what you've seen. But on the other hand, if I can stand there and say, I know this is happening, I know I've seen this, or I know I didn't experience this, but the Word of God says, and fill in the blank with any promise of God, there's faith required. Because what I'm saying is, in spite of what I've seen, I'm choosing to believe a greater truth. And yeah, I live in denial. I deny anything that would violate the Word of God and cause me to say, but God didn't know. As if he totally forgot this was going to happen when he said that. Like he's in heaven going, oh man, I hope they don't remember what I said in Psalms. Because that just happened and that totally proves me to be wrong. He's, he's not insecure, he's not in heaven trying to adjust what he believes based on what you've experienced in your life. We probably shouldn't do the same here. You can. Um, God has never, ever, ever called us. Listen, if, that, if anyone ever says that, then what you're saying is, I really don't believe it's going to happen, so I don't want to pray because my unbelief will probably keep it from happening, and then my unbelief will make God look bad. Listen, you can't make God look bad. But if you're already saying that, you're not really in a place of belief. And probably unmet expectation at some point in your life is speaking louder than His Word. And so what you're saying is, is I have changed what I believe because of what I've experienced and I'm afraid I'm going to experience that again so I'm not even going to try. It's, it's like people who get into a relationship with somebody and that person mistreats them or that person does them wrong and then so they make this vow, I will never let somebody hurt me that way again. And they build this wall that keeps that from happening. The problem is, is the wall is just as good at keeping true love out as it is as keeping hurt out. And so you're settling for so much less than you could have because you're letting a, fa- a failed expectation, an unmet expectation, or a disappointment determine the way that you live rather than every word that proceedeth from the mouth of the Father. You're living by bread and stones, natural things, rather than every word that proceedeth from the mouth of the Father. You, you've never, ever, ever been called to defend God. Religion is worried about that. But I promise you, like, God is not in heaven insecure and worried that He's going to look bad because He's not in it for Himself. And that actually kind of leads me into what I wanted to talk about today. So that was perfect. Um, If you have your Bibles, open up to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. God, I just thank you that 
that we can get together and sharpen each other and that you're here, Father. That, that we're not like hoping you show up or having to dance around like the prophets of Baal and beg you to come, but that it was your good pleasure to be with your children. And you're just as excited to be here even more probably than we are excited that you are here. I just thank you for that. We've got to remember that sometimes, you guys. Like, God's way more committed to us than we are to him. Like, if I'm not careful, sometimes I find myself praying prayers that sound like I'm the one who's committed to people and I'm hoping God will get on board. Just, just being real. Like, if we're not careful, we'll find language in our mouths and in our prayer life that sounds like we have this great idea because we love people so much and God, would you just love them like we do? And, and would you just, and like we're begging him to get on board with our plan and we fail to realize, sometimes we fail to remember, he's way more committed to people than we are. He's so much more in love with them than we are. He so much more values and cares about them and is dedicated to seeing them become the person he created them to be than we are. In fact, the only reason we care about that stuff is because he put that the care inside of us. Because he enabled us because we have his DNA. You guys realize that you're born again. You're, you're in a different bloodline. You are a new creation. You are not a fixed up version of you. If anyone could ever have been fixed, it would have been Jesus because he actually started perfect. He could have been fixed back to perfect and he even said he had to go and die so that he could be resurrected to newness of life. If he started perfect and couldn't be fixed, then we who didn't start perfect have no chance of being fixed. None. We have to die. But if a seed falls to the ground and dies, oh, You guys awake? Proverbs 13, chap- uh, chapter 13, verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is the tree of life. And I just... There's this, there's this, uh, there's this thing that I've heard a lot I've heard a lot of people say it, and I think I know what some people mean when they say it, but I think some people take it the, the wrong way, and so I just want to talk about that this morning a little bit. And how many of you guys have ever heard, well, if it's easy to never be disappointed, just don't have any expectations? How many of you guys have ever heard someone say that? Yeah? You know that that's the most faithless, if you're taking it at face value and you're actually living with no expectation, is the most faithless life that you could ever live. Don't look at me with that tone of voice. It's the truth. Because here's the thing. If I believe, it has to cause an expectation to rise in me. That's what faith is. It's the expectation of good. And so, if James says, James chapter 1, verse 5, says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to... Oh, I thought it was going to be on the board, and it was going to be like this point where you guys read it. <laughs> Mati, you're, you're failing me back there. You haven't met my expectations, Mati. I'm just kidding. But if anyone, but he must ask in faith without any doubt, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to 
that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So if a lack of belief means that we should not expect, then what would belief bring? It has to. It absolutely has to. Because we can't say, well, I'm just not going to expect anything, but I really do believe that it doesn't even make sense. And when we apply it to God, it doesn't make sense. But the truth of the matter is, when we apply it to each other, it doesn't make any sense either. Because the truth of the matter is, is just take something simple. If me and you have a conversation, I say, Zach, we're going to have uh, breakfast Panera Tuesday, 7 o'clock. If, if I say that and Zach says, okay, sounds good, cool. Tuesday morning, when I wake up, I get dressed and I drive to Panera and I expect Zach to be there. And if Zach doesn't show up, it would be really weird if I called him and said, hey bro, are we still going to have breakfast? And he looked at me and said, oh dude, you're expecting me to be there? Well, I guess that'll teach you to not have expectations. (laughs) That's not my problem. Don't push your expectations off on me, bro. No, wouldn't that be weird? Wouldn't it also be weird if I went home and Patty said, how was your breakfast with Zach? And I said, oh, he didn't show up. Why not? Oh, I don't know. I didn't ask him. I don't have any expectations. I just, I just, I don't ever put any expectation on anybody. That would be weird. I should expect that he's going to be there because I believe him and I've, I've judged him to be a trustworthy person. And the same thing goes with, with relationships with each other. Like, when we should put expectation on each other because we should expect that each other are following after Jesus. And if Jesus is trustworthy faithful and true, then someone following after Jesus should be trustworthy, faithful and true. And so the thing is, is if somebody doesn't, if I have say, well, I just have no expectations. No, that's not true. I have an expectation that my wife will fulfill the vows that we made before God on on our marriage day. The thing is, I can't allow her not meeting one of those expectations to cause me to treat her less than loving. See, that's a whole lot different than saying, well, I just don't have any expectations. That way I'm never disappointed. Well, good for you. You're going to go through life with absolutely no faith, no belief, and no grid for anything. And I think sometimes in, in, the, in the desire to have an unoffendable heart, we try to put ourselves into this position of saying, well, I just don't do this, or I just don't do that, or you know, I just don't expect anything from people, and then I'm just never disappointed. Yeah, but you never receive anything either. Like David said, I would have dismayed had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What's he saying? I would have despaired. I would have absolutely thrown my hands in the air and said, you know what? It's all hopeless. Why? He's surrounded by an enemy. He's being chased by an evil king. Everywhere he goes, people are spying on him and telling the king where he is so that the king can hunt them down so that they can receive the reward. And David's looking around and he's saying, I, I know that I was anointed king, but right now when I look around, nothing looks royal. And in fact, everything looks like a royal mess. And I would have dismayed, but there was an expectation that I had that I would see his goodness. And that expectation kept me from believing or settling for anything less. And if we have no expectation on each other, then what we're saying is, is I, don't, I don't think they're very trustworthy. 
And a lot of times what happens is, is we have decided to live that way because somebody has failed to meet an expectation that we placed on them and we don't want to be disappointed again. So we just, rather than being able to see that maybe that person had something they were dealing with. Listen, there's every, every chance that somebody failed to meet an expectation in your life because there's something broken in them and God actually wants you to be the one to point out their wholeness rather than become just as broken as they are. So this happens sometimes like with friendships. Like you meet somebody and they're, they're just an awesome person and they're super encouraging. How many of you guys have, have ever met somebody and just right away they just were super encouraging to you and just, you just like they put a smile on your face, you know, and they were really encouraging and, and, and you came to know them and, and man, you really trusted them and they were just a source of encouragement to you and they were always really nice and you just look forward. Anybody have people like that in their life? You just look forward to seeing them. Their name pops up on your phone and you're like, oh yeah, because you just know like they're a constant source of encouragement. They're always uplifting like his radio. <laughs> and, and we meet these people, and because of that, if we're not careful, we start letting them meet a need in our life that only God's supposed to fill. And so now we've placed them in a position to fail us. Because we've placed them in a position where the expectation that we have on them is unrealistic and not God's desire for them to meet. It's okay and it's actually great to receive encouragement one to the other. In fact, if the Bible says encourage each other every day, encourage each other daily, then that must mean that there's a reason God wants us to encourage each other. There must be something that is beneficial to each other when we encourage each other daily. So receiving encouragement from people is not a bad thing. It's actually a really good thing. Receiving truth from people and, and, and receiving, being loved by people and, know, and feeling loved because that person expresses the way that they f- care about you. That's all amazing stuff. As long as it doesn't become something we need to be okay, it just adds to the fact that we actually are okay. Because the second it becomes something that we need to be okay, we put that person in a position where the second they stop doing that and they stop being that for us, we're no longer okay. And the ability that they had to make our life amazing, they have the same ability to make our life destroyed. Because we've put them in a position they were never intended to be in. And a lot of times they don't even realize we've put them in that position. They don't even realize the expectations that we have upon them because they're unhealthy expectations. They think that they're just being nice. They don't realize that every time they speak, it's actually like, oh, I need that. They're just encouraging us. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, they have a kid. They get married. They get in a relationship. Something changes. They get busy at work. And suddenly, they stop being who you thought that they were supposed to be to you and somebody that they had been for so long. And the expectation that you put on them, that you put on them, fails to be met in your life. And now suddenly, because they're no longer meeting that expectation, we are offended, we are hurt, and we judge them, and we want to crucify them the same way the crowd wanted to crucify Jesus when He didn't meet their expectations. See, we look at the crowd that wanted to crucify Jesus 
And we go, wait, these are the same people that said, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord one week. And then a few days later, they're saying, kill him and let his blood be upon us and upon our children. And we think, bad people. But the truth of the matter is, how many times have we loved somebody until they failed to meet an expectation and then we crucify that person? And we can't even see because we were finding something that we needed in them. We placed them in a position that only God should hold in our lives. They were our source in a bunch of different ways sometimes. And when our source gets cut off because it wasn't in the trust, we didn't put the expectation on the person that we should have, the one we should have, which is the Father, we put them in a position to fail. And then when they fail, rather than being able to see, man, there must be something going on. What about people who actually intentionally do something wrong? Like, not even, like, like it's one thing if, you know, you just get busy with work or they just, you know, they have a kid or they get into a serious relationship. You know, you used to be best buds and now all of a sudden there's this girl that comes along and, like, they don't even want to talk anymore because all they want to do is talk about her when they do talk and all they want to do is be with her. And you're like, oh, my gosh. I'm so happy for you, bro. And you walk away thinking, oh. <laughs> Right? None of you guys have ever done that, but I confess for the podcast, it wasn't for the people in the room, that was me that has done that before. But no, listen, like, like but that's kind of understandable, like, you know, we have a, we, we actually think about it and consider it, we're like, you know what, truth of the matter is, they're just busy, I know they are, they had a kid, things changed, life circumstances changed, they got into a relationship, is it getting on here? Cool, because I thought it was just me. Oh, we got the heat on. Here we go. All right. Uh-huh. So it's hard for me to tell if it's the fire of God or the heat's on sometimes, you know? I'm feeling it. Don't, don't tell me it's the heat. But, but no, but what, like, sometimes that's, that's easier to take, right? And we can respond in love a lot of times if we can understand why they did the thing that they did. But what about the people who actually intentionally did something to us? Like, what about the people that actually intentionally harmed us or did something devious with bad intention that we had an expectation of? See, if we're not careful, we'll get real self-righteous and real selfish. And we'll see them as the villain rather than the victim. And we'll make our life story all about that guy, that girl, that knew better, that was my friend, that I trusted, that did this, that didn't do that, that should have, that shouldn't have. And the next thing you know, we will actually build walls up so that that person can never do something like that to me again. And we don't understand that every wall we build does not discriminate between people. Because if you build a wall to keep someone out, you build the same wall to keep everybody out. They don't discriminate. And just as good as those walls are at keeping hurt out, as good as your wall is at keeping hurt out, it's just as good at keeping love out. It can't tell the difference. And, 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 and all it does is prove that A, our, our expectation and our belief and our trust was in people, not in the Father. We might as well be honest, Right? We might as well just be honest with ourselves and say, you know what, I actually put them in a position that God wants to fill. And when they weren't God, surprise, surprise, I got mad. I got offended. I got angry. 
And I was so focused on me and what they did to me that I couldn't even see that they were actually the one who was hurting. And I couldn't even see that maybe I was in the position I was in in their life so that I could be the answer to the problem in their life rather than another voice of accusation that sounds just like the enemy. He's the accuser of the brethren. He doesn't need our help. There's one person who's called the accuser of the brethren in the Word of God. He does not need our help. He's really, really good at what he does. So a lot of times we have these unhealthy expectations of people that aren't met, and so then when they're not met, we put up this thing and say, well, I'm just never going to expect anything from anyone ever again, and I'm just going to be okay because no one will ever again be able to hurt me. That may well be true, but nobody ever again will be able to love you either. And now you're making what you believe and you're making the way that you live based on the failure of others rather than the victory of Jesus. Yeah, you do. You see it all the time. So in any area of our lives that we don't trust God, we'll put our trust in someone or something. Like I promise you, you'll trust. It, a lot of times it's ourselves. Right? That's a scary idea. Like that freaks me out to think that my trust is in me. Because I saw where I got me apart from him. I promise you it was not pretty. I got pictures to prove it. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it was bad. You know what that's like. And at the time, you thought you were so cool. Come on, Matt. <laughs> you thought you were so cool. And then you look back now that you see like what you were caught in and you see like where you were at at that time in your life and you think the fact that nobody actually loved me enough to say, bro, what are you doing? means I had no friends. No, you, like we watch these things on American Idol where you see people get up there who can't sing, you know, and they're like, I'm leaving you! You're God of miracles! And we're like, how does that happen? I know how it happens. Nobody actually loved them enough to say, listen. We need some real relationships in our lives or we're going to end up a YouTube clip. No, but think about it. Is it love to sit there and listen to somebody sing so far off key you can't even tell what song they're singing and tell them it's good? No. There's no loving way to lie to somebody. Now, there's a loving way to say, hey, <clears throat> um, I know you love to sing, and God loves it too. 
Whenever someone tells you that about something that you're doing, like, listen, I, I love it and God really loves it. It means nobody but God loves it. Because obviously God loves when you make a joyful noise. But sometimes it's noise. No, think, but, but here's what I'm saying. If I have no expectation on you, then I have no reason to believe that you would ever come to me and tell me the truth if I was caught in deception. And it's funny when we're talking about singing and people ending up on YouTube clips on American Idol. But it's not so funny when people are actually living in true deception and living in destructive behavior or habits and nobody around them actually has the right to speak into their life because there's no expectation. Oh, I just don't put any expectations on anybody. So when that person does something that's so unlike the character of God, rather than going to them and saying, listen, I expect different of you. You're born again. That's what Paul does to the church at Corinth. He talks about all the stuff that's going on. He's saying, you know, don't you guys know that murderers and idolaters and, and effeminates and homosexuals and, and thieves and liars and drunkards, they're not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And such were some of you. But you were bought. You were sanctified. You were cleansed. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, there's a different expectation on your life now, now that you're born again a new creation. And I'm not going to sit here and watch you live less than what Jesus died for you to live without coming to you and pointing it out to you, not because I want to make you feel bad and shame you and put you down, but because I understand that the way that you're living is so far below where you could be living. Because I've tasted of the goodness of the Lord, and it tastes so good, I want you to taste it too. That's a little different than, well, you know, I just don't have any expectations. No, we should have expectations on each other and on the Father, and they should be healthy, and they should also be so strong that when something doesn't happen, we actually are okay to question why it didn't. The disciples did it with Jesus. Mark chapter 9. Man brings a child that has a, a demon to the disciples. The disciples who have cast out demons before have an expectation because they believed what Jesus said. He said, I give you authority over every unclean spirit. See, them believing it meant there was an expectation that when they acted, something would happen. And they said, they bring the boy to the disciples, and the disciples can't cast the demon out. They don't just say, well, we just don't have any expectations, so it's cool, we'll just let Jesus do it. No, they bothered them to the point that they actually asked, why couldn't we? What, what were they saying? They're saying this, they're saying, we know what you said, and we believe that. And because of that, there's an expectation on our lives that when we act, something will happen. We acted, and we didn't see something happen, and we're not okay with that. Why? Jesus didn't rebuke them and say, it's because you guys have expectations, man. Just don't have any expectations, and you never have to worry about being disappointed. He didn't say that. He gave them the answer. Because there's some unbelief, and that kind of unbelief only comes out by praying and fasting. Jesus thought it was okay for them to expect things. He was okay with them questioning why what they thought was supposed to happen didn't. He didn't rebuke them for asking the question. He gave them the answer. In other words, he actually liked the fact that they asked the question, because when people asked him a question that he wasn't excited about them asking, he didn't answer. Do you say you're the Son of God? 
By whose authority do you do these things? He asked them a question. They can't answer it. Then neither will I answer you. Why? Because he's saying, you guys are asking the wrong question. I'm not going to give you an answer because the question that you're asking doesn't lead you to the place that you want to go. But when the disciples ask, he quickly gives them an answer and he gives them a solution. He says, because of your unbelief, and I tell you the truth, this kind can only come out by praying and fasting. What's he saying? He's saying, it's okay for you to expect that, but when it doesn't happen and you ask the question, I'll give you the answer. It's okay. That's a healthy expectation. I want to get to that place in our lives as a body where it's like we expect to see the goodness of God. And when we don't see it, we don't just say, well, I guess we just won't. We just maybe our expectation. No, get your hopes up. Get them up. Expect to see His goodness. And if we don't see what we thought we would see or what the Word says we would see, let's get to a place where we actually go, why? Not just adjust our theology. Not just go, well, I guess I've got to come up with a different way of reading the Bible that doesn't say that because I thought it said this, but then I saw that. And start making adjustments to our theology that change our standard from Jesus to something that we can explain by what we've seen happen in the natural. That is the worst possible thing that we can do. What we need to do is actually take a stand, plant our feet and say, this is my expectation because this is what he said. And if I don't see it, I'm not going to be just okay and I'm not going to change what I think. I'm going to go to him and I'm going to say, God, why? And with my friends, I'm going to have an expectation because they're following Jesus that if they don't do something they said they were going to do, or if they don't act like Jesus, or if I see them living less than Jesus' standard that He died for them to live. He said, as the Father sends me into the world, so I also send you. What is He saying? There's an expectation on your life because the same way the Father sent me, I'm also sending you. And we'll have a healthy expectation on each other. And if we see each other live less than that, not because we're angry and we're hurt and we're offended and we can't be okay, but because we're hurt for you and we understand there's something wrong because you're living less than Jesus died for you to live. And so we go to him and say, listen, I don't expect that out of you. I wouldn't expect you would do that. Because I believe that you really are a born-again new creation following Christ filled with the Holy Spirit. I really believe that you're walking after Jesus. I really believe that the man that you were died and the new creation in Christ is holy, righteous, blameless, upright, without reproach. And that he's able to present you that way before the Father. And if he can present you that way before the Father, I want to see you that way. And when I see this going on in your life, I realize it's less than what he died for. What's going on? Not... Well, I used to believe people would do that, but then they didn't, so now I just don't have any expectations, and now people can't hurt me. That is, not, that's, that is, that is absolutely unbiblical. Destroy that thinking. That's hurt and offense talking, and that's building a wall, and that's settling for less than what we can have, and it does nothing for the person. And we're supposed to be alive for God and for others, and all we're doing when we do that is preserving and protecting ourselves. And we're exposing that we're actually in the relationship for what they do for us. And when they don't do it for us, we just won't get into another relationship. Then we'll never have to worry about being disappointed again. Come on. It happens. Stuff's real. Like, we might as well talk about it real. Like, do we have people in our lives that, like, if we don't live to the standard of Jesus that would actually come to us and say, like, hey, what's going on? What are you doing? 
I got a call the other day from a friend. He said, hey, man, I just noticed when this happened that the way that you talk kind of changed, and, and I'm just calling to make sure that you're okay. This was said, and I just noticed that the way you were talking kind of changed, and I just want to make sure that you're okay. And there's nothing going on there. I explained to him what was going on. He said, okay, I, I, I kind of thought that's probably what it was, but I also didn't want to just ignore it like it didn't happen. And I wanted to call because if there is something going on, I want to know and I want to pray with you. And I'm not digging for dirt. I'm just seeing the gold. We need people like that. But he can't do that unless there's an expectation of the way that I live on my life that he notices when I'm not meeting. What he can't do is say, well, that's the last time I think a pastor's actually worthy of being followed. That's the last time I listen to somebody who says stuff on Sunday but lives a different way on Thursday. And make an assumption because in the moment he didn't see it, he actually cared enough to call me and say, hey, I just want to make sure I wasn't seeing something that's there. And if there is, I just want to pray with you. Why? Because he's okay. He's so okay that he can actually call me and ask me if I am rather than cut me off and think that's the way to be okay. I'm just, like, for, for our, I, I, know it's, I know that it's God's heart for his church because it's the way Christ loved us because he never let the disciples live less than what they were called into without questioning them on it. Remember? Beware the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. Oh, it's because we forgot to bring bread. Jesus looks right at him. Why do you reason that you have no bread? Do you not remember when I fed this many, the, the 4,000, how many baskets were left over? And do you not remember when I led, fed the 5,000, how many baskets were left over? Why then do you reason that you have no bread? What's he saying? Look, I expect that when you see my character and nature revealed that you never again live in a place of unbelief. So if I'm ever talking to you about bread, it's not because of the lack. There's something else I'm saying. Why? Because he expected that when he spoke and when he revealed himself and revealed the heart of the Father that it would actually adjust what they believed and that they would actually live their lives accordingly. And when they lived their life less than that, he questioned them on it. Why do you reason that you have no bread? There was an expectation there. In love, in love, caring about them, wanting them to get it, Because if you can come to a place where you trust Him for provision, you never again have the door open for worry and anxiety and fear to cover you. There's someone in front of our church right now taking a picture of our church. Everybody wave just in case they can see in. (laughs) It's the landscape job. But... But no, think about it. If you actually come to a place, and I'm just going to wind up with this, um, if, but if you really would come to a place, if the disciples actually came to a place where they never again questioned based on their lack, but always believed based on His bounty, it closes a door for the rest of their lives and worry and anxiety and the enemy can never again have that place in their life because it's replaced with trust in Him. And when He sees that they haven't been impacted the way that they should be by what they've seen, He doesn't say, oh, that's okay. It's okay, one day you'll get it. No, He doesn't. He doesn't. He actually calls them out and says, wait a minute. 
To talk like that, you would have to forget what you just saw. If you remembered what I did, and you believed that I wasn't just doing parlor tricks, but I was actually revealing my character and my nature, you would never again question, because you have no bread. You would understand, He doesn't need us to have bread to feed us. He has food that we know nothing of. And you would never again come to a place in your life where the devil could get in there and start making you afraid or worried or anxious because you actually had an expectation that if he did it before, he will do it again, and that settles it. I never again can find myself in a place where I panic when I don't have enough because I understand he's always enough. That's because there's an expectation. That's because we really do believe that we will see. We expect to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So much so that when we don't see it, we actually question it and go to Him and say, God, why? I'm not going to adjust my theology. I'm not going to change your word unless you do. So with that settled, this is what you said. This is what I'm seeing What am I not seeing? What do I not understand? What am I not believing? What's going on? Why? Because I expect that you are who you say that you are. And you will be who you said you'd be. And you will do what you said you would do. And because I expect that, God, when I'm not seeing it, I actually question, why am I not? And I'm not questioning you like, God, I thought you were good. I'm questioning you and saying, God, I know you're good, so why? Because I know that you're good, there's something I'm not seeing, something I don't understand, and I want to know what it is. Because I don't want to settle for less than what you have. That's healthy expectation. That's healthy expectation with each other. That's going to each other and saying, man, listen, I know that you're an honest person. I know you're a man of God. I know that you actually are born again. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. And I'm, I'm hearing this stuff coming from your mouth, and it doesn't sound at all like what Jesus said. It didn't, doesn't sound at all like someone who's actually like guarding their heart. What's going on? I expect better of you than that. And not in a condemning way, not like, I expect better. Like, I really expect better, so when I see something less, I've got to come to you and ask. And I don't want to throw stones at you and crucify you because you haven't met the expectation of Jesus. I want to help you so that you get to a place where you're actually living in that place because it's better for you. I'm fine. I'll be okay, even if you don't change. But you won't be, and I love you. I want to see you change, because I know there's better. I've tasted and seen. Think about it, man. If we, cha- if we taste a cheeseburger that's good, we'll tell people about it. No, really, we will. Like we, If we eat a meal at a restaurant that's good, we will actually tell people how good it was if we've tasted and seen how good Jesus is. Why would we not want to share that with every person? And anybody that's eating McDonald's, we tell them about five guys. There's something better. There's something better. And I'll be okay if you eat McDonald's the rest of your life, but you'll miss out. You'll miss out. God, I just thank you for readjusting our our thoughts. God, that... I thank you that any place we've put man, God, that we would take them out and put you at that place. I thank you, God, that we can have healthy expectations of each other, God, but that we're not damaged when they're not met. That we can actually see the person 
who's living less as the victim rather than the villain. And that we don't adjust the way we live to the way that they are choosing to live. But we call them into the place that you've called us. I just ask that that would happen in our lives, God. That we would come to a place of of knowing You, God. Knowing Your promises so well that if we see something that doesn't look like what You've said, that we're not okay with it and we go to You and we wrestle with it and we question it and we dig into it until we see Your goodness. And I just thank You for that, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen.